So Chris Kennedy is the director of the CSIRO Discovery Centre and we're here in the Discovery Centre and we've got a bunch of kids coming in today. Chris, what's going on? Uh, we've invited the local Canberra finalists from the BHP Billiton Awards, uh, which is a big national science, kind of like a science fair competition sponsored by BHP Billiton, obviously, um, but run by CSIRO. And... Uh, uh, and it aims to encourage and find that you know next generation of talented young scientists. These are the kids who were down in Melbourne for the finals. Uh, one of them came third uh, out of uh, a couple of hundred kids across the country in engineering, uh, Jake Coppinger, he's from Gungahlin College, uh, and he's uh, invented this amazing glove that uh, kind of can work mobile phone apps. It's, it's like watching Johnny Mnemonic, the um, sci-fi film. Um, and, and the other kids, uh, all of them from Lynham High School, all are finalists in their section, um, not prize winners, but definitely are our talented next generation of young Einsteins. Ah, oh, so do you, we're seeing a real energy that the, 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 the young people bring. I was at a Music Aviva concert a couple of nights ago and there was a debate, youth and energy versus age and experience. Do, do, do you think you can see that kind of trend going on in here? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, um, I mean, kids are really passionate about science and, and it's lovely to see them um, invest this passion and, and also... Um, uh, work in areas that um, adults uh, perhaps aren't that interested in or perhaps, uh, you know, like gr grown-up scientists need to find money for their, uh, you know, people to fund their research. But uh, the great thing about something like the BHP Billiton Awards, kids can pursue an area of research uh, that, they're, that they're interested in. They don't need funding. Uh, and, and some of these kids are working in very innovative fields and, uh, and their papers or their inventions or their end results, you know, are, are tangible and publishable and really interesting. Are they, in a sense, freed from the, the daily grind of working for an organisation that they can just do whatever takes their passion and they can go where they want with it at this stage of their life and, and this, their, their entries in this competition is an expression of that? Uh, I, I would say so. I, I mean, uh, as a professional scientist, you, you're obviously limited by your organisation. You're limited by what you can pursue, um, you know, who's paying you, where the money's coming from. And at the other end of the spectrum, these kids are probably also limited by money in that, uh, you know, they, they probably need to pursue research that doesn't cost a lot. But uh, they certainly, uh, some of these projects have taken a, a full year to work on. So, so they're um, quite energy intensive. And it's just about, you know, how much time and passion they're willing to put in. So, so the, the, the contestants, if I use, can use that term, are getting exposure and they're getting the excitement of being part of something. What's in it for SARO and BHP? I, I think what's in it for the country, really, is um, encouraging these kids uh, to, to be passionate and explore the sciences. It is really hard to uh, get kids to study the sciences in year 11 and 12, and especially in this day and age and in, uh, and in the ACT college system where you don't even have to take maths or English anymore if you don't want to, um, it's really hard to get kids to... Uh, agree to take physics, biology, chemistry, or, or any one of the other sciences. Uh, so, so, I mean, so an activity like this where they can, you know, where, where their enthusiasm is lauded uh, might drive them to study science. It might encourage them to pursue a career in the sciences. And that's where we all win. Um, you know, how does CSIRO find its next generation of staff? It's uh, 
it's the kids who uh, enter competitions like this. Uh, so we, we need something that enthuses the general people, general public about science and what science can do. And this is a very engaging program, I can see, for doing that. T tell me a bit more about some of the contestants, some of the projects that we're seeing coming up today. So we have three kids from... Lynham High School, and uh, I live in uh, Canberra's inner north, so I'm particularly interested in um, Sanjog's project, uh, which is about the performance of photovoltaics in North Canberra. So, uh, uh, I mean, I'd be very interested in reducing my electricity bill by getting solar panels on my roof, but uh, in our part of the world, with the amount of sunlight, uh, you know, with shadows cast by Black Mountain, for example, um, uh, you know, is it worthwhile? Uh, you know, what photovoltaics will work? I, I'm interested in hearing. And, and the problem of solving energy is a really a global one. It's of great significance. So, to to bring their enthusiasm and their talent into this is, is, is got, has to be a, a good thing. What, what else do we have? Uh, we have. Um, Angela Liao, uh, her project actually looks uh, quite fun. It's the effects of gums flavour on salivary flow rate and pH levels. Um, chewing gum, obviously a big passionate interest for high school kids. You know, I have to tell you, one of my favourite um, science projects, we, we usually host science fairs here at Discovery Centre. My favourite one from a couple of years ago was a girl from third grade, and it was um, Will listening, Will listening to Robbie Williams make mummy's heart beat faster. <laughs> and uh, it was fantastic. And she used really uh, well-constructed uh, scientific methods. She'd reasoned. She'd, um, she'd done her experiments. And she had her control subject. She had mummy listen to Enya. And, uh, and she'd take mummy's pulse when mummy listened to Enya. And then she'd compare it to listening to Robbie Williams. Of course, mummy's heart slowed down a little bit when she listened to Enya but yes it certainly um, sped up so Robbie Williams does make your heart beat faster yeah gorgeous how, how can you not love a science project like that <laughs> oh, I'm loving it already <laughs> and you use the word fun and, and it's my thesis that fun is a fundamental force in the universe in fact I'm aiming for a Nobel Prize for discovery of the fun boson also known to, to become known as the rod boson <laughs> but, but aside from fun, you're referring there to the scientific method, the way of thinking that science brings. And do you, do you see that as a real challenge? Because in our society, there are so many pressures and different ways of thinking about problems and different ways of thinking that science is something that we really need as a, as a, as a method, a way of approaching a problem. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, and there's so many um, anti-scientific naysayers uh, in, uh, or at least who, are, who, who, who seem to grab their share of media attention. What is encouraging is that kids are really into science, uh, at least in junior school. They learn the scientific method in, uh, you know, kind of second and third grade, and they learn how to apply it. Um, and, and what's, I think, really important for young not even future scientists, just future citizens, is, is just the idea that, I mean, even failure is an important part of mm -hmm. the learning process. And studying the scientific method and thinking critically and scientifically, I mean, it, it, it sets you up for later in life to understand that um, failure is something that you learn from and you, uh, uh, it's a learning experience and you move on. I think that's just as important as a success. The kids who we're hearing today have these successful science projects and they've been lauded and... Uh, um, and that's very exciting. But what, what's exciting is every single kid who participates uh, and, and just the experience of, um, uh, of pursuing an idea, you know, from 
concept through to an end result. That, that's fantastic, and uh, we on Fuzzy Logic strongly endorse the promotion of uh, scientific thinking. Now, can you can you give me another one, another project that might have taken your fancy that we that we were going to be hearing about? Look, the the other one today that's coming uh, is uh, Ian Arachi, also from Lionham High. His project is on ultraviolet protection and clothing. And uh, look, I'm quite interested in that because I have very stinky shoes, um, <laughs> and it seems to follow me around from shoe to shoe. So I suspect it's not the shoe that's the problem. But I do understand that ultraviolet light kills um, foot odor. Um, and uh, and I believe you can even buy little um, ultraviolet lights. You can like a shoehorn. You can stick in your shoes. Uh, so I'm uh, I'm interested to see whether this is where he's taking his project today. But uh, like, isn't science incredible? <laughs> uh, yeah, yes. So uh, yes, it, it's the surprise factor and the bit of the wow factor. And uh, look, thank you very much, Chris Kennedy. It's a privilege to talk to you. And uh, uh, what a terrific program. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Congratulating my two guests on a fantastic job. And how are you coping? Well, first of all, give me your names, please. Okay. Um, I'm Sanjog Chintalafani. And you're? I'm Ian Arachi. And now uh, we're here at the Discovery Centre. How are you coping with the, uh, all the attention that you're getting? With me poking a microphone in your face, you're standing in front of an audience and so on. Um, I, I guess it's great like being recognised for all the hard work that I put in last year and having that, that kind of recognition is, is really good. Yeah. And, and what about yourself? Well, yeah, it's definitely a new experience, but it's good to know there's recognition out there. So you, you feel like, what, what motivated you in the first place to get into these projects? Uh, well, we run it with school and then I chose my project because I know skin cancer is a big problem and my project looked at a way to reduce skin cancer, so yeah. So just tell me a bit more about that project. What did you study exactly? Well, I looked at how different clothing could increase protection from the sun. So I did different colours, different materials and a whole new area, which is UV-protecting absorbers, which is a liquid. Uh, a liquid? Yeah, keep going. A liquid spray, which you can buy and then spray onto your clothing and dramatically increase protection. Uh, yes, now, speaking of somebody with very fair skin, uh, I have to go each year to get a bit of me burnt off because of too much sun. Yeah. Uh, yes. Now, would you have any particular recommendations for someone like myself? Well, I would recommend darker clothing always, uh, cover-up, obviously, and uh, synthetic materials would be the way to go, yeah. So that's why we, it's the norm to wear darker-coloured swimwear. So, for example, at the beach, try to avoid white-coloured clothing. Do, do you know why a, a darker cloth, clothing is a better protection? I thought it would absorb more. Yeah, that's, it's a common misconception that black is bad for protection. However, the sun has electromagnetic waves which produce the heat. So absorbing heat also absorbs those rays, which are the UV. Ah, so the heat goes into the material and not into your flesh. Exactly, yeah. Ah, now, uh, Sanja, you yeah. also looking at the sun's rays, but in a different perspective. Uh, tell me about your project. Uh, so basically I had uh, nine different houses around Canberra and I looked at the solar panels on those houses and how much, how much energy they were producing. And uh, those, those solar panels were exactly the same between all the nine houses. They were the same model, the same brand, same capacity. 
but they were producing different amounts. So I was just investigating the conditions around the panel which affected it. Do, do different panels on the same roof um, produce different amounts of energy? Is there much variation there? Uh, yeah, so a different panel would, would produce different amounts of energy, but as I said, my project uh, investigates the conditions around the panel because the, in my project the, the panels were exactly the same. So um, the conditions around it actually had a massive impact on the panel because the panels were producing different amounts of energy. So the things like shading and so on? Yeah, so the uh, variables I investigated were orientation, tilt angle and shading. Mm-hmm. And do the installers around Canberra, do they seem to be very uh, conscious of uh, how the, the, of the alignment of the panels? Uh, so n- not at all, actually. The, the installers, it's the, it's the awareness that my project is trying to um, s- spread around. The, the installers generally just install their panel flat against the roof and what's most convenient for them, and they don't really take in, they don't really notice how much the site conditions around the panel can have a, have a big impact. Wow, and how much could I gain by fixing the alignment? I mean, how much efficiency improvement would you see, say, on the, in the worst case? Well, in the worst case, well, I've seen houses which actually have panels under trees, and that's mostly because the trees have they've grown, they've gotten bigger, and they've shaded almost half the panel, which, is, um, which can account to a 21% decrease in energy production. That's a lot, and of course not, they're not that cheap to put on the roof in the first place, so you want to get the most out of them. Do they um, decline much over age with uh, dust build-up and so on? Uh, yeah, so we, I, in my project I noticed that after rain the panels produce a lot more because they're actually cleaned, it's just a shower for the, the panels and the dust is cleared off. So they do kind of maintain themselves in the dust-wise, they, they get cleaned from rain and things like that. And bird poop and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the bird poop gets washed away. <laughs> yeah. oh, well, congratulations and good on you, and uh, um, it's great to see some really inspired people doing science. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, chewing gum, a subject that we all love, and I can remember peeling lots of it off the bottom of chairs and things. And now I'm talking to Angela Lau from Lynham High School. Now, Angela, you've just given a talk here at the Discovery Centre on your research into chewing gum. <laughs> what was it? Yeah, so I looked at the possibilities of utilising different flavours of chewing gum in treating oral health diseases. Oral diseases? Yeah, oral health diseases. So lots of people suffer from dry mouth syndrome, which is a, um, a lack of saliva secretion, and also just things like, in general, bad breath. And so um, chewing gum is known to be able to treat these issues. Ah, really? Well, I just had to leap, <laughs> to run off for a second to have a glass of water. Could I perhaps have had some chewing gum just now instead? Yep, yeah, so chewing gum stimulates salivary flow, which is what helps you to speak. So the saliva lubricates the mouth and aids you in speaking. Well, it, it puts some moisture in your mouth, I guess. So, <laughs> um, and you were researching the effect of different flavours on that. Is that correct? Is that what you said? Yeah. So acidic flavours tend to stimulate saliva flow more. So I looked at the possibilities of perhaps using acidic flavours of gum to treat oral health diseases and if that would be more useful. Ah, so acidic as in like a citrus flavour or that sort of thing? Is that what you mean? So sour gums, generally fruity flavoured gums like lemon and orange. Now what about the sugars in gums? Well, the gums I tested were all sugar-free gums, but I specifically looked at the effects of chewing gum on slivery flow rate, so I did not look at um, the other adverse effects of chewing gum. 
these things are, I guess, would have had the sugar substitutes like sorbitol or mannitol or those sort of things. Yeah. And so how did you go about doing your test? So I had 28 volunteers who helped me with my experiment and they chewed the gum. So I collected saliva samples from each of the volunteers for five days. They chewed gum for, for 20 minute periods of time with collecting, sali- collecting saliva at five minute periods. And were you measuring the volume of saliva? Anything else? Yeah, so I measured the salivary flow rate, which is the amount of saliva produced per minute. And I also measured the pH of gum. Of the gum itself, but what before it's being chewed? I measured the pH of the gum before it was chewed, but I also measured the pH of the saliva because salivary pH has huge effects on oral health and also just health of the body in general. Uh, so what would it more acidic be better or, or worse or what's the effect? So it's healthier to have a neutral pH in the body. Is that to do with what tooth decay or the bacterial or the flora in your mouth or what, what exactly? Yep, so acidic pHs can lead to the demineralization of teeth, which is when you start to get cavities and stuff like that. So we wanted to neutralize the pH and start remineralizing the teeth and make them healthier. Ah, okay. So you're collecting saliva. You know that you, you uh, the great uh, scientist Pavlov collected saliva from his dogs to see how they responded to plates of food. <laughs> so you're, you're following a, uh, a, a great precedent here. And uh, so you measured the saliva, you measured the volume of saliva the, the, and the pH, and what did you find? So I found that a patient can chew any flavour of gum without detriment to the health benefits provided by saliva. So pretty much it's just a scientific excuse for people to chew more gum. So the, the, the flavouring didn't particularly matter? No, um, there were very small differences which I found weren't significant between the different flavours. And in general, would you think that uh, chewing a gum is good for oral hygiene, especially I presume a, a sugar-free one? Yeah, I think it is good for oral hygiene, but also it has to be taken in, into mod, um, in moderation because there are some other studies that have shown like the detrimental effects of chewing gum on stomach acid and stuff like that. And did you do anything like testing? You mentioned um, bad breath. Does it have any effect? Did you measure that at all? Yeah, so when saliva is stimulated, saliva, has, um, saliva kills the bacteria in the mouth, which causes bad breath. So when the patients chewed the gum, it stimulated the saliva and killed those bacteria, which led to better breath. Ah, oh, wow. So what, what motivated you? What inspired you to doing this in the first place? Well, I've always loved science, and I've always been really interested in oral health in particular. In the future, I want to become a dentist, and so this has pretty much all been leading up to that. It's been an opportunity to, opportunity to explore my interests in the field. Do you, do you see yourself doing more research? Oh yeah, definitely. There are already things that um, people at the camp suggested that I improve on and I'm really interested in doing so. And what, what sort of things might that be? So I, um, one of the suggestions was that I concentrate the flavour of the gum so that there's more of an effect and that might be useful. And also um, we could test hard lollies and stuff like that because some of the older patients, they can't chew gum. So things like hard lollies could be useful in stimulating saliva flow. Ah, chewing gum and spit. Two great topics 
and uh, but with a really valuable outcome, a really important message. So uh, thank you very much, Angela. It's been great talking to you. Thank you. And congratulations too on uh, being here today.